Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, today we are starting a, a new series, and again, for those of you who are brand new, just welcome. Uh, inside of your, your program is a message note sheet we use every week for our time of teaching, so you'll definitely want to pull that out because it'll help you follow along, and then if you guys are set, I'm all ready to go. You guys ready? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, just thank you for what you're, you're doing here at our church in the way that you are just waking us up to who you are and really changing us from the inside out, giving us a passion to pursue you, a compassion to love others. We pray that you continue to pour out your spirit here uh, upon us so we can become more and more like you. And today as we, we enter into this new journey, a brand new series, talking about the power to change, we just pray that you would be here every week uh, through this series for the next couple months, just really teaching us uh, personally uh, what this means to be a follower of Jesus and, and, and how to change to become like you and to be used for you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we are continuing are starting a brand new series called The Power to Change, the start of something new. And so for those of you who are brand new, a special welcome. This series is actually kind of part of a, a larger series that we've been doing in the, in the letter in the New Testament to, uh, the, the, uh, of 2 Corinthians. And so let me just step back for a, a second and just set it up. Uh, the, the, uh, the, this whole series is based on this letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christ followers that he had started, a church he'd started about five years below, before in southern uh, Greece, which is still there, a city called Corinth, a major metropolitan area at the time. And so he'd come in, he'd share the message of Jesus, the church starts, he's there about a year and a half, and then he takes off. And so now it's like five years approximately since the start of this church, and the church is going through a lot of problems. And one of the big challenges they're facing is that there are many in the church who are questioning whether Paul is truly what we call an apostle, someone who has been chosen by Jesus personally to speak for him with his authority. And there's some new teachers that have come into towns with a kind of a strong Jewish background. They're, they're kind of bringing a different message, a different Jesus, a different gospel, and they're trying to pull people away from following Jesus in this new way, to back to kind of old, older Jewish roots, kind of Jewish approaches from their past. And so in this series, what Paul is going to be talking about is, no, you don't understand, with, with the coming, with the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. And, and we move into a whole new era of the human race, a whole, a whole new era of human history, where, where we move into a relationship with God that's kind of firsthand, it's real. We experience the power, of not only of his forgiveness in our life, but the power to change us from the inside out to be the people we are created to be, which is why we're calling it the power to change. And so this series is going to take us from Second Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 3 all the way through chapter 7. We'll be in it for the next maybe two, two and a half months, something like that, almost through the end of June. And so today we, we kick it off with the first section, chapter 3. We're just covering the first six verses. But before we jump in, uh, we need to do a little bit of background work, uh, way more than normal, because today in this passage, the Apostle Paul is going to bring up three major concepts or, or kind of topics that he assumes that we, we understand what's going on and we really probably don't. And so before we go into the passage, we need to step back, take a big picture look at these three really what I'm calling core concepts. And there in your note sheet, you can see them. It says the new covenant, three, three core concepts, and you see them there, a covenant and competency uh, and, uh, and, and commendation. And so uh, what I want to do is just jump in before we look at the passage and, and take some time to flesh this out. 
We're going to spend most of our time on the first one, on covenant, because this concept of covenant is huge, not only in this passage today, but this is, trust me, one of the most important uh, concepts of what it means to be a Christ follower. And it's probably one that most of us here are not that familiar with. And and here's what I'm going to say. Today, at the first part of the message, it's going to be a little bit more heady than normal, a little bit more uh, kind of big picture uh, teaching. Uh, it's a little bit more cerebral, but can I tell you something? That what we're talking about today is one of the most important concepts you could ever get your hands around to understand what it, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to help make sense of your life and, and how to follow it every day. And so this opening section, we're going to talk for a few minutes about covenant, kind of zone in there. We'll talk quickly about uh, the next two, and then we're going to come together, look at the passage, and then kind of jump in, all right? So here we go. So let's talk about covenant. Uh, the concept of covenant is not one that we, we talk about today, unless you like in a homeowner's association or something like that. Uh, but, but uh, you know, the, the only covenant of, of really that's of worth noticing a lot in our culture is the covenant of marriage. And so we don't even think of it as a covenant, but it really is a covenant of marriage. So a covenant is a formal agreement. It could be between two people. It could be between two, two, two uh, families, two nations, or whatever. But it's a formal agreement. And we don't use the language a lot, but in the ancient world, covenant was big time. This was how you describe formal relationships. So for example, in the Old Testament, when David wanted to become lifelong friends with, with uh, Jonathan, they entered into a covenant. It was a formal agreement that said, we are going to be friends for the rest of our life, and here are the terms of our, our agreement. And Jonathan gave David some gifts to kind of formalize that, that relationship. Uh, in the Old Testament, when Jacob, uh, he made a covenant with his father-in-law Laban, uh, and basically the covenant was, I won't kill you if you don't kill me. So, um, and so throughout the, the Bible, you see it. So often God enters into covenant with people. Like he enters into covenant with Noah, with Abraham, with Isaac, and so on. And so, but the most important covenant in the Old Testament is, is the covenant that God entered into with the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. And so uh, this story is told in Exodus 19, 20, and 24. We won't take time. It's there on your note sheet. And so let's review that. So, so God comes to the nation of Israel, right? They're slaves in Egypt. He rescues them from slavery, travels out. They bring them to Mount Sinai uh, for, uh, three months later. And there at Mount Sinai, God reveals himself in an amazing display of power. And he comes to the nation and he says, I want to enter into covenant with you. And he says, and here's what I want. I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And so he makes this amazing invitation for Israel to enter into covenant. Now, every covenant has terms to it. Like in marriage, when two people get married, they're entering into covenant, and it's a lifelong covenant, right? I'm gonna love you for the rest of my life, and, and the terms, I will be faithful, I won't sleep around, I'll only sleep with you, and, and there's certain agreements, like for better or worse, richer or poorer. So covenants have terms of agreement. And so God comes to Israel and says, I, I want you to be my people, I'll be your God, I'm inviting you into covenant, but there are certain terms or certain rules of the relationship. And we call those core terms of the relationship the Ten Commandments. How many have heard of that? Good, okay, good, some of you. That's good, that's very encouraging. We live in a post-Christian era. Uh, yeah, so, so God enters the Now, interestingly enough, in the New Testament when Jesus comes, he says, you know, all the terms of the covenant, like the Ten Commandments, he said all those are really just a, an expression, an illustration of two major commitments. And that commitment is to love God with all of our heart, 
and to love people as we love ourselves. He says, so really all the laws, like no other gods before me, no idols, that's just about loving God as your number one God. The, all, all the 10 commandments about uh, uh, don't kill people, uh, don't rip them off, don't steal their spouses. He says, that's just explaining to you because you're a little slow what it looks like to love people. Like if you love people, you don't kill them, okay? If you love them, you don't rip off their spouse, okay? And so you see what I'm saying? That Jesus said all the 10 commandments are really just an expression of here's what it looks like to love God or love people. And so, so God says, I wanna be your, your God. You'll be my people. Uh, we'll enter into a relationship. It'll be this love relationship. I will love you. You will love me. I want you to love one another. And and so if you want to enter into that covenant with me, then let me know. And so Israel says, of course we want to. You just rescued us from tyranny of slavery. You've provided supernatural. You've revealed yourself in an amazing way. We know you're the real God. You're promising to bless us if we follow you. What's not to like? And so Israel enters into covenant. And in Exodus 24, we have covenant ceremony. They're sacrificed, so they enter into covenant, all right? The problem with this, though, Oh, and then remember this, and then God writes the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Remember what he writes them on? You haven't seen the movie? Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah, tablets of stone, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, he writes them on tablets, which, by the way, was how you did ancient documents or the highest and most important documents, you'd write them in stone, chisel and stone. So, so, so the, okay, so, so they enter into covenant. Now, the problem with Israel is that they immediately begin to break covenant. And so what happens, they're like a spouse who's just gotten married and goes out and has an affair the next week. They immediately stop, they start running after other gods. They immediately start oppressing one another. So they don't love God, they don't love, and this is the story of their history. If you study the whole story of the Old Testament, it's a story of rebellion. It's a story of rebellion and judgment because there were terms to the covenant. If you rebel against the covenant, you break the covenant, then there will be judgment. If you keep the covenant, I will bless you and protect you and take care of you. And so they entered into covenant, but they immediately start breaking covenant. And so the story of the Old Testament is the story of Israel breaking covenant and the judgment that comes. Here's what I want you to catch. What's important for us to catch is that the story of Israel isn't just the story of Israel. The story of Israel is all of our story, right? That the story of Israel is like a case study of the human race, like let's look at it. like God says okay let's let's look at the what if I were to choose a nation, what if I were to rescue them from tyranny and oppression, what if I was to pour out my love on them, what what if I was to offer to love them with all my heart, what if I were to reveal myself and so there was no question whether I was the real God. And, and what if I was to promise that if they would just two, two things, love me and love people, which is like the path, and say, this is the path to life. Just follow this and I can bless you. And, and then what if I were to do that, what would happen, basically? And, and so what happens? They rebel, and catch this, not because there was something uniquely bad with Israel, because there's uniquely something wrong with the human race. You see, it wouldn't really matter who they chose. And think of your own life. How many times in your own life have you known what's right to do, you know what's good, you know what you should do, you want to do it, but you don't do it, 
right? This is the story of the human race. There's something broken with us. We've rebelled against our creator. We've cut ourselves off from the source of all our life, and the end result, as we talked last week, we live lives of death. We, we, are, we have this magnetic pull to the dark side, to that which is evil and destructive and self-absorbed, and so we can have high aspirations every year. It's what, campaign year, right? We're gonna have aspirations of a, a nation under God, or no, we don't have that aspiration, but it'll be like aspirations like justice and unity and love and taking care, but it's not going to happen, right? Because there's something broken with us at the core as the human race. And, and so this was Israel's story. And so about 850 years after Mount Sinai, God sends a prophet named uh, Jeremiah. And, and what God says is this plan is not working. This covenant is like, you're like Israel, you're like a wife that's having serial affairs. It's like you, you, you are you, you're, you're beating up on one another, you're oppressing one another, you're not pursuing me, you're running after other gods, and it's not working. And so the judgment's coming, but after that judgment, he says there's gonna come a new day, a new era in human history. And he says, and I am going to enter into a new covenant with the nation of Israel. And he says, in this new covenant, I'm not gonna write my laws on tablets of stone. I'm gonna write them on human hearts. I know I'm gonna supernaturally change you from the inside out. That's the problem. I'm gonna heal you so you truly love what is right and good and true and you want to love God and you want to love people, okay? And so if you look there on your note sheet, in Jeremiah chapter uh, 31, we have a very famous, it's one of the most important passages in the whole Bible if you've never read it before. But, but it's, this, it's just like this marker, this time marker predicting this new era of the human race that will one day come And so he says, the time is coming, declares the Lord. And remember when it says Lord, all caps, it's Yahweh. So his personal name. So the time is coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new what? Covenant. So we got an old covenant at Sinai, right, that failed. We've got a new covenant coming with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. So back at Mount Sinai, he said it's going to be a different type of covenant. And he says, because they broke my covenant, and notice the analogy, though I was what? A husband to them. So just like a marriage covenant, that, that this is one of the most common ways of describing Israel, that God wanted to have a, mar- a relationship of love, like marriage, you know, marital love, but that they were unfaithful, running after committing spiritual adultery, running after other gods. So he says, though I was a husband to them. So this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, this future time. I will put my law on their minds, I will write it on their hearts. Okay, change from the inside out, supernatural change. And I will be their God and they will be my people. So this has been his desire from the beginning, that he would have a people that are passionate about him, that he would be passionate about them, this relationship of love. And he says, and so no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, no Yahweh. So in other words, you're not gonna have to go around then, he says, and say, hey, what are you doing? You're following these idols. You need to seek God. You, know, you need to know the Lord. You're not gonna have to do that anyway anymore because uh, they're all gonna know me from the least to the greatest. And he said, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. And so all, these, all this rebellion that had taken place, all these covenant violations 
God says, I'm going to wipe them away as if on a whiteboard. Now, when it says, I will remember them no more, it doesn't mean he's literally going to forget, like, oh, I, did, I forgot about that one. What it means is that he's going to treat it as if it never happened, all right? And so, so what happens is that God predicts there's one day we'll enter into a new era of the human race where it will change our whole relationship with God. Well, there'll be not only forgiveness, there'll be this deep knowledge of God. Everyone will know God, and on top of that, there'll be this power to change, this kind of change from the inside out. And so then let's fast forward now. We're going to fast forward about 600 years from the time of uh, Jeremiah. We're now at the time of Jesus. In the Old Testament, whenever they would talk for this new era that was coming, it was often tied to the coming of the Messiah who would introduce this new era of human history. And so in the New Testament, Messiah comes, right? And Jesus is with his men. It's the last night. It's Passover. He's going to be arrested later that night. He's at Passover. And, of course, Passover is a symbolic meal representing the Lamb of God who will come to take away our sins, right? So he's celebrating Passover, and after dinner, when he's passing the cup of wine around, I want you to notice what he says. There on your note sheet from the New Living Translation, Luke 22. He says, after supper, he takes another cup of wine, and he said, this cup is the what? The new covenant. Can we say that again? The new covenant. I don't want you to miss this. What I want you to, what I want you to catch is Jesus says the time has come, the prophecy of, of Jeremiah is about to be fulfilled. We are about to enter into a new era of the human race. It's going to be kicked off with my death and resurrection. And so that's what he says as he goes on. So this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a what? A sacrifice. So the death of Jesus changes everything and it kicks off this new covenant, this new era. So, here, so here's what it means. It means as followers of Jesus, you and I are, have all entered into covenant with God through the death of Jesus. Does that make sense? That if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, it means by definition you have entered into covenant with God through the death of Jesus. And we'll talk more about that later, but that, this, this is enough now that you, you, you kind of get the picture of covenant, and, and we'll, un, we'll unpack that more later. The second two, are gonna, we're going to throw them together because uh, they're very similar concepts, but this is the concept of competency and commendation. And so this one, uh, uh, just take a second to explain this. But remember what I said, Paul's writing to this church in Corinth that is being uh, kind of off track spiritually. They're following these new teachers that have come in, trying to take them back to old covenant. That's what's happening, trying to take them back to their old ways. And these new teachers are very critical of Paul. And their accusation for a whole bunch of reasons is Paul is not competent. He's not a real apostle. Uh, he suffers too much. He's always in prison. He's always getting beat up. How could God be with him? He's a horrible speaker, blah, 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 blah. Okay, and so they, 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 they're undercutting his competency. What they're doing is they're self-promoting their own competency. You should trust us. We're not in prison. We're bright. Look at our pedigree. Look at our resume. Look at the spiritual experiences we've had. So they're self-promoting. So this concept of commendation is a big one throughout 2 Corinthians. Uh, they're promoting themselves. And as a result, then Paul has to defend himself. And then when he defends himself, they say, oh, you're commending yourself. And so this concept of commendation is big. And one of the ways these new teachers would commend themselves is in ancient times, like say that you were a member of the church of Jerusalem in good standing, maybe you're a teacher there, but you wanted to go to another part of the Roman Empire and kind of be part of a church there. They would write you a letter of reference. 
a letter of recommendation because there was no, you know, there was no like, uh, you couldn't, you know, tweet it, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't uh, Skype it, you couldn't like even send a letter in the mail and say, hey, Joe's coming to you and he's really from us and this is how he looks. He's five foot ten, he's 180 pounds, you know, and he's got a tattoo. No, you couldn't describe it that way. So, uh, so they would carry letters of commendation. So these, these, these false teachers, they're very proud because these letters they got from somewhere. I don't know if they made them up or got from somewhere. They're commending them. Well, Paul doesn't have these letters of commendation because Jesus chose him. And when Jesus chooses you, you don't need a letter from anyone else. So, they're, but they're using this to like attack dog him. Like, look at him, he's such a loser and we have the letters and he doesn't have the letters, you see? And so you kind of get what's going on. So in this three, in these six verses we're gonna be looking at, these concepts of uh, covenant, commendation and competency, they all come together very rapidly. And so now, now that we've kind of laid the groundwork, we can look at them very quickly, okay? So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and then we're going to get real practical and talk about our lives and, and the implications for us as followers of Jesus. So 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. So here we go. So Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? So see that letter of commendation, the issue is commendation. So at the end of chapter two, Paul had been defending himself and he said, hey, we're not like a lot of these false teachers that are just trying to kind of make money off the gospel. And so now he starts chapter three, he says, so are we beginning to commend ourselves? Because every time Paul would try to defend himself, he could hear these critics in the background go, there he is, commending himself again, you know, kind of self-promoting. So he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Do we need these kind of letters? Verse two, he says, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, we love you, and known and read by everyone. So Paul says, look, we don't need a letter of recommendation. He says, Corinthians, think about it. You're followers of Jesus because of us. We're the ones that brought you the gospel. It was through us you met Christ. It was through us you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's through us your whole life had been transformed. Why would we need a letter to you recommending us when you are our letter? You're the proof that God's alive and working through us. And so in verse three, he says, you are, a, you show that you're a letter from Christ. Uh, you're, you know, supernatural. Jesus has written his, his words all over you. And he says, the result of our ministry, and it's written not with ink, like these false teachers that had these letters of recommendation, but with the spirit of the living God. And he says, not on tablets of stone. And so now we're moving into old covenant language. He says, God has written his word in your life, not on tablets of stone like first covenant, but he's written them, he says, uh, goes on, but on tablets of the human hearts. And so he's referring to Jeremiah 31, this new covenant that would be written not on stone, but be written on human hearts. And then in verse four, uh, four he says, such confidence as this is ours through Christ uh, before God. He says, I know we're being criticized that we're not the real deal, we're not a positive, but we have absolute confidence in who we are because God has chosen us and he's anointed us to do this. And in verse five, he says, not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. He says, I'm not making a claim that I'm someone special. It's not about me. But he says, but what the reality is, is it's God, our competence comes from God. Like God chose me to be an apostle. God empowered me. So it's not about me. It's not about how cool I am. It's about his calling and his equipping in my life. And then he says, verse six, uh, for he has made us comp uh, competent as ministers of the what? 
the new covenant. Okay, and so, so that's what we're talking about, Jeremiah 31. And so what Paul is saying is that in the same way that Moses was chosen to communicate the first covenant, that Paul has been chosen to communicate the new covenant. And so he says, and it's, this, uh, the, it's, a, it's not of the letter, like the old covenant was written in tablets of stone. It's not of the letter, but it's of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so remember, under old covenant, God said, I will be your God, you'll be my people, but there are certain terms. And if you keep the terms, I will bless you. But if you don't, if you break the terms, I will judge you, that it will lead to death. Well, because of our fallenness as a human race, we're all going to fail. We're, all, we're not going to love God. We're not, and so the old covenant, which was designed to lead us to life, love God, love people, how, how easy is that, right? It's designed to lead us to life, but in actuality, it leads us to death because we all fail. We come under judgment for that. He says, but the Spirit gives life. When we enter into covenant with God in the new covenant, we receive the power of his Spirit that changes and transforms us so we truly can love God and we can love people, all right? So, so that's the passage. It's, it's a passage. I mean, Paul's under being criticized. He says, no, no, God has called us to be uh, ministers of this new covenant. He's, he's equipped us supernaturally, but he introduces this concept of covenant. And so what I want to do today is a couple things. I want to talk to you first about this, this concept of covenant and its implications for us because I'm, I promise you this is one of the most important concepts you need to get nailed down as a follower of Jesus because it helps define all of our life what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump in. We're going to talk about covenant a little bit more. I want to give you a big picture principle about covenant. Then I want to talk with you about the gifts we receive, three or four gifts we receive when we enter into covenant with God. Because just like Jonathan gave David gifts of covenant, when that, covenant, that God gives us certain gifts that are our birthright as people of the covenant. And then finally, we're going to come back and I'm going to ask you personally to evaluate your life and say, are you living in covenant reality? That is this your experience? After we describe what you should be experiencing, are you experiencing that? And if not, how do we need to move towards that, okay? And so there on your note sheet, there's a section called the new covenant, three or four gifts. You'll see why I say three or four in a few minutes. But here we go. Let's start with the big picture principle. Here's what I want you to catch today. The new covenant changes everything. That, that when we talk about coming in the new covenant, that it, it, it is a landmark moment in, in world history. That when Jesus died on the cross, when he rose again, he initiated, just like he said at the Last Supper, he said, I'm, I'm initiating new covenant. And we are moving into a new era of human history, and it changes everything in our relationship with God. And this is why, by the way, uh, well, I'll, I'll get there in a minute. So let's do it this way. Um, for those of us, even for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, my experiences in Christian circles, we seldom understand this concept of covenant. And it's one of the most important ones in all the Bible. So, so for example, that if whether you're a brand new believer or you're just checking out Jesus or you've been a believer a long time, we all know certain stories of the Bible, right? So, so we know the stories of maybe creation. You maybe know the story of the flood, the story of call of Abraham, the story of the sacrifice of, of Isaac, the story of the, the God's rescue of Israel uh, from Egypt, the Red Sea and all that, the, the promised land, Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Uh, you go in David and Goliath. You move in the New Testament, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, some of his miracles, the Apostle Paul starting churches, you know, Peter healing people after Pentecost. So the, the reality, we know lots of stories, 
But here's what I find. For most believers, we know lots of individual stories, the many stories, but we don't know the macro story. Like all these stories are part of a much larger story, and we, we don't really understand the larger story, we just don't understand the smaller story. And here's what I'm telling you. The story of, the, the word covenant is a description of a larger story. Like you can separate all that happens in the Bible into two chapters. We call them the old covenant and the new covenant. Kind of a little slow there. Yeah, okay, like uh, I'll try to prompt you better next time. So we got old covenant, right, and new covenant. And I'm gonna help you remember this because in your Bible, we've got two parts of our Bible. It's called Old Testament and New Testament. And guess what? The word testament in King James time meant covenant. All right? So in your Bible, it's the whole story of the Bible is separated into two major divisions, Old Covenant, New Covenant. Okay? And so, so it changes everything. And so, so here's what I want to do, that... that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, everything changes. And as followers of Jesus here, we have all entered into covenant, whether we realize it or not. And as people that have entered into covenant with God through the death of Jesus, there's certain rights and privileges, certain gifts that you receive, three or four, okay? And so what I wanna do is take some time to flesh this out today. And we're gonna use a diagram. You've got a diagram there in your note sheet, a triangle. So you fill in yours, I'll fill in mine. I wanna give you a visual so we can talk about this some more. I'm hoping this helps cement it in your minds clearly from going forth. It's one of the most important things you could ever learn. So here we go. The first gift that comes to us uh, as a result of entering into covenant is the gift of forgiveness. Now, this is the gift that most of us are most familiar with, but, but let me just step back and just review. The, the gift of covenant is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, a couple things happen. That you receive credit for his life. It's like in a court of law, you receive credit for the life he lived, which was perfect. He, he pays the sentence for your crimes. That's it. We call it the great exchange, right? So when Jesus goes to the cross, remember what he said, that this is the new covenant in my blood through my sacrifice. And so the idea was exchange, that, that all your crimes against the king of your life get, get paid for by him. Uh, you, in turn, get credited with credit as if you lived his life. Okay, that's the first, first gift. And so last week, remember we call this amnesty. We talk about amnesty. When you come to, so all your sins, past, present, and future, are covered by the death of Christ. And so when you enter into covenant with God through Jesus, this is the terms of the deal, that it's as if you have never violated a single one. Okay, now I want you to catch this. This is not about you. It's not about how you feel about it. It's not about whether you feel forgiven. It has nothing. This is a legal document. It is a covenant. It is a contract. When you trust in Christ, you receive the forgiveness of all sins, past, present, and future, covered by the death of Christ. Okay, are you with me in this? You following this? This is part of covenant that you've entered into. And so this is what Jeremiah says. All three of these gifts are gonna flow right out of the passage in Jeremiah we looked at before, the marks of the new covenant. So there in your note sheet, you have in Jeremiah uh, <clears throat> chapter uh, 31, verse 34, he says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins, what? No 
no more. And so through the death of Jesus, he pays for your sin, you receive credit, the great exchange takes place, and, and so you are right with, with God. There's, there's forgiveness. And so that's the first thing. Now this is the one that for most Christ followers, we go, okay, I've heard that one before. I, I get that one. I get that. That's part of covenant, okay? But catch, it's not about how you and how you feel. It's part of covenant. It's part of the deal. It's what God has said. It's it's, it happens, okay? Number two, the second thing that happens, the second gift that we receive as part of covenant is the gift of knowledge. Okay. Now, we're talking about a specific kind of knowledge. We're talking about the knowledge of God, okay? And when I say knowledge of God, I want you to catch this. I'm not talking cerebral knowledge, although it doesn't include that. It does include that. I, I'm not just talking theological knowledge, okay? I'm not just talking about knowing things about God. Like you have a new information bank. You've got a Bible and you learn all these. I'm not talking about that. Well, I mean, it's, it's all of that, but it's more than that. What I'm talking about is a firsthand experiential relationship with God where you experience God as a living person and you know he's alive and real and you know what he's like. Okay, you enter into personal relationship. Like last week, I can't remember if it was at this service or uh, another one, but um, there was uh, a man being baptized, and, and uh, he was, I would guess, about 50 or something like that, and he was being baptized, and so he was sharing his journey, and if it was at this service, you'll remember it, but they all run together for me. So, uh, so, so he, as he's sharing his story, he, he talks about how he's grown up Catholic, and, and he, he went to church occasionally, not very much. It's never very real to him, but it's, you know, I guess I believe it. You know, it's like, I guess. You know, I'm just going to raise I guess. But he said about six months ago, he started coming here to Rocky Peak, and, and through the messages, God has just been moving in his life, and he, and he said, you know what, at some point, it became not just something I believed, it became true. You catch that? It became not something I believed, it became true. And that's what I'm talking about. It, it's at the point where, where our, our belief system in God goes beyond just, I believe something, I know this to be true. It, it, there's a deep experiential component of this that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, all of a sudden, God is alive. He's real. He's my father. Uh, the New Testament describes this. It's an experiential personal relationship. And so Jeremiah says this is the second thing that happens. It's the gift that happens to us when we enter into covenant with Jesus, uh, with God through Jesus. And so there in your note sheet, uh, Jeremiah 31 says, no, man, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man say his brother say, know the Lord. Uh, know Yahweh because they will all know me. Interesting, in the Hebrew, the word for know here is the word yada. And it's got a wide semantic range in, uh, of things it can mean in Hebrew. But one of the things that one in the spectrum, it's often talking about a very deep and intimate knowledge. In fact, it often, this is the word described to, uh, that's often used to describe sex in the Bible, in the Old Testament. It says a man knew a woman. It means he slept with her. Okay, so when Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain. That, that's how it's described. And so when God is entering into a relationship, this is the relationship he wants. It's personal. It's firsthand. It's real. Where he becomes the most important person in our life, our first love, that we would die for Jesus rather than deny him because he is the most important person in our life. It's that. So this is what God has been after all along. You will be my people. I will be your God. This is what we couldn't achieve, but now through Jesus, we enter into a relationship that's new, that's, that's, that's new. It's personal, it's firsthand, and it's deeply experiential, okay? And so it's a second gift. Now, there's a third, there's a third gift that we receive the moment we sign the deal, the moment that we enter into covenant, and it's the gift of power. 
And specifically, I'm talking about the power to change, which is what this series is all about. That Jeremiah says that when this new covenant goes into effect, that God will begin to supernaturally change us from the inside out. And the way he said it, remember he said it, he will, he will write his law on our hearts. And many of you experienced that when you became a follower of Jesus, it changed, didn't it? It's like the moment you came, there was a new love for God. There was a new love for people, a new sense of right and wrong. There was a new kind of direction in your life. What's happened It's the power of God. It's, it's covenant. It's covenant reality. You've stepped into covenant, and the covenant begins to work. And so there in your note sheet, from Jeremiah, he says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares Yahweh. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. Now, there's a fourth gift. And this fourth gift is the most important gift of all. This is the gift that is the source of the other three gifts. And many times we don't understand that this is the gift of the Spirit. You see, the, the new covenant is the covenant of the Holy Spirit. That, that there was a prediction that when Messiah came, that, that when we entered into covenant, there would be a release of God's spirit and his people that would actually come to change us from the inside out. And catch this, that through the death of Jesus, because your sins have been paid for, it allows God to now come and live inside of you and you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is new covenant reality. And so often in the Old Testament, when the prophets would talk about the new covenant, they would talk about the work of the Spirit. And that's why, in, if you look at, uh, at chapter 3 of Corinthians again, 2 Corinthians, that's why Paul says in chapter 3 and verse 6, he has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the what? The Spirit. And so the mark that someone has come to Christ, the moment that a man or woman gives their life to Christ that they're forgiven, they receive the gift of his spirit who comes to live inside of us now and it's the Holy Spirit who communicates the reality of our forgiveness. It's the Holy Spirit who opens us up to this new relationship with God and the Holy Spirit cries out within us, Abba, Father, there's new sense of relationship. It's the Holy Spirit that unleashes the resurrection of power of Jesus, uh, resurrection power of Jesus in our life to change. And so it's the Spirit who ties us all together, okay? So, so as we enter into covenant with God that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you, I'm entering into covenant. As we give our life to Christ on that basis, then these three things happen that right away, forgiveness of sins happens, past, present, and future. We enter into a new relationship with God, and we experience the, the first dose of power. But here's the thing. This relationship, this covenant that God calls us into is not designed to be a static covenant. Uh, in other words, we are always to be going deeper into covenant, like a marriage that just keeps getting better and better and better, that we are to go deeper into forgiveness, we're to go deeper into relationship with our Father, and deeper into the experience of his power. This is gonna be an ongoing, ever-deepening uh, experience of reality of covenant. And so there on your note sheet, there's a section that's called the new covenant, what's your experience? And here's what I wanna do. And the time that we have together now, I, I want to unpack this, and I want to ask you, are you experiencing covenant? Because you do realize this, it's possible to sign your name on a, on a contract and not know all that you're getting yourself into, right? Right, you're going, yeah, I'm married, no. <laughs> uh, that, so yeah, you enter into covenant, we don't always realize what goes with that covenant. 
So it's possible to enter into covenant and yet not be really living out forgiveness, experiencing it. It's possible to be in covenant but not really pursuing relationship. It's possible to be in covenant and not drawing on the power. And so what I want to do is have you do some self-evaluation here to say, what's your experiencing? Are you experiencing covenant reality in your life? And so three quick questions. Number one, are you living in freedom? And this deals with number one, the first one we mentioned here, forgiveness. Are you living in freedom? This is an issue of forgiveness, that when Jesus came, when he died, that, that what this means is that uh, you should be experiencing freedom in your life. And it's a freedom of two kinds. I want to give you two words to write down. We're going to say it's a freedom from the past, and it's a freedom from a performance-based relationship. Okay, so, so what happens? Like when you came to Jesus, you, you understand this, that often in our life, when we do bad things in our life, that we carry the shame of those things, don't we? And so what happens is we go through life trying to compensate for the shame. You know, I got this girl pregnant in high school, and so I feel bad about that. I, I ruined my life with drugs. I, I betrayed my wife here. I, we've done these things overall. I picked on my sister, which I really did. Uh, that, uh, and she still has not got over it, but, uh, but, but therapy's helping. It's therapy's helping. But uh, anyway, uh, so, so we carry the shame of these things, don't we? And we try to compensate. We try to do good things to balance it out. We, we try to convince ourselves that we're really not that bad of a person. It was just a bad day. It was, I'm not really that bad. It's just a bad day, bad choice. I mean, a bad choice. I'm not a bad person. And so we try to convince ourselves. And, and sometimes we throw ourselves maybe into alcohol or drugs because we're carrying this shame and we want to kind of move past it. We throw ourselves and become a workaholic because if I could just achieve something great, then I'm really not that bad a person. And so what happens is the past dictates our present. We carry the past with us. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, what it means is the past no longer affects our present. But the, 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 it means that we are no longer have to be dictated to by the past, that we are willing, we're able now to move into the future. Like we often say here at Rocky Peak, God doesn't care where you're coming from. He only cares where you're going. So it doesn't matter how badly you've screwed up. The death of Jesus means you've entered into covenant. God remembers your sin no more. It's a new day. Okay? And, so, and so, uh, so the past. But there's also a performance angle. You know, before we come to Christ, we often relate to God with a performance mentality. That if I do this and if I do that, God will love me. But here's what we find out through the new covenant. Is God loved you when you were a mess. God loved you when you were a loser. God loved you when you were an enemy. And so when you were an enemy, he sent his son because he loved you so much to turn you back into a friend. That, that's the reality. And, and so what this happens is that through the new covenant, we realize that our relationship with God is not performance-based. Like God doesn't love you more when you obey than when you disobey. Now he's happier right? He's pleased, but he doesn't love you more when you obey than when you disobey. He doesn't love you more when you read your Bible than you don't read your Bible. You see? That God loves you, and you've been made right with God through the death of Christ, and so it frees us from a performance-based relationship. Your father is crazy over you. He absolutely loves you. He hit, you're the apple of his eye. He wants nothing but good for you, and he wants to just pour out that love, and it's a new covenant reality. 
And when we experience this, it leads to freedom, that I don't have to impress him. And, and when I don't have to impress, now I'm able to love, right? Now I'm able to enter into relationship. The sad thing is, though, is that often, as believers, we're not living in new covenant reality. And the way that shows up, for example, is like when you first come to Jesus, you often know you're a mess. You have nothing to offer, and so you experience this freedom. I'm, my relationship with God's not based on my performance. But after we've been walking with Jesus for a while, we can start adding all these rules and things we're supposed to do. And, and so pretty soon it just starts crunching us down. I haven't read my Bible. I haven't done this. I haven't done this and this and this. And so we move back in that performance mentality that I have to do certain things to be loved. And it just kills the freedom. Or here's another one. That we may believe that, yeah, in general I feel forgiven. In general, I feel forgiven, but there are two or three things in my life that I'm so ashamed of that I feel like someone has to pay for that, and that someone's me, and so I'm gonna beat myself up over that. And so late at night, it's that abortion that I had that I, I shouldn't have had, and, and, or it's what I did to my parents or the way I ripped off my brother or the sexual uh, uh, promiscuity in my past or whatever it is. And so there's certain things that we're so ashamed of that we feel like we need to beat ourselves up because someone needs to pay for this, right? But here's the thing. Someone has been beaten up. Someone has been beaten up. Do you understand that when Jesus went to the cross, the reason his back was torn open, the reason his crown was in his head, the reason the nails were in his, uh, on his hands and feet, the reason the sword was in his side, he was being beaten for what you've done. And since he's been beaten, you don't have to beat yourself up anymore. You see? This is why we love him, right? This is because he took our beating. And, and so the question is, are you living in covenant reality? Are you living in, in the freedom? Second question. The second question is, are you pursuing the relationship? Are you pursuing, and this, this deals with number two, with this knowledge thing. One of the things we learned is that one of the privileges you have as a new covenant person is you have direct access to the God who created the entire universe and that he is crazy about you. And he invites you into a relationship that, that that would become the most important relationship in your life, that you would love him uh, as your first love like he loves you. And so he invites us into relationship. And so the question is, are you pursuing that relationship? Because this relationship is intended to grow. And so the question is, are you making the most of that, that privilege that you have, or are you taking it for granted? Because the reality is, is that sometimes, even as Israel would run after other gods, we can do that too. We run after other gods. We will make other things our ultimate value in life. We will make something other than God our first love. And so what happens is then the joy goes out of our life, that, that this relationship we're designed for, that we are now, we've, we've, we've committed spiritual adultery. And, and we're bearing the consequence of that, the joy, the peace, where the power is going out. And so sometimes it's because of direct, you know, running after other gods. Sometimes we don't pursue the knowledge because of distraction. Uh, remember at the beginning of the year, we talked about this with the Simple Life series. We said that if you want to put the first things first, you have to what? Put the first things first in your schedule and your calendar. So sometimes I'm convinced of this. We want a deeper relationship with God, but we just get so distracted and busy, we don't allocate time to it. Like if I were to ask you, like let's say you're married, 
right? Let's say you're married or you have a great friendship or you're dating someone. There's someone in your life that you care about, a relative. What do you have to do to pursue relationship? Well, it's all going to be different, right? We're all going to have different answers. But like for me, I would say, well, if I want to pursue relationship with my wife, then I need to spend time with her. We need to have time where we can be together. And so one of the things we do, as I've told you before, is we have a date night on Thursday night that we always go out just hanging out on Thursday. It's one of the things we do to pursue relationship. Every relationship's like that. If you want to be close to someone, you have to pursue it. And so here's my question for you. What fuels your relationship with God? Here's my question. What fuels your, and this is going to be different for all of us. Last night we had a next step dessert. Well, young, one, young, uh, one young couple there, and the woman was talking about the worship here at Rocky Peak and how it just feeds her so much. How she, they've just been coming a few months and how much they love it. But she was talking about, for me, worship is the way I connect with God. It fuels my relationship, right? Okay, so for her, being in a place of worship is a really important thing if she's gonna go deeper. Uh, spending time with God in her life, worship. What fuels your relationship? You say, it's, it's my small group. When I'm with my small group, I'm growing, I'm staying on track, I just, I get so inspired to pursue God. Awesome, you know? You say, well, I need to spend time alone with God, and when I'm spending time alone on a regular basis, that fuels my, awesome. Uh, you might say, it's service. When I'm out there serving, I feel God's power in my life. I just feel so inspired to pursue, awesome. So here's the question, what fuels your relationship? And then the follow-up is, are you putting fuel in your tank? See, are you fueling the relationship? Are you pursuing? It's, it's a new covenant reality, and so, but are you taking advantage of that? And number three, the third question, the third question is, are you changing at the core? Now, here's what I want you to catch. Covenant reality is all about power. It's the power to change, Okay. The moment you step into a relationship with God via Jesus Christ in the covenant, you step into a transformation process. The Holy Spirit is in charge of this process. In fact, next week, this is what we're going to be talking about, the power of transformation, okay, and, and, and how the Holy Spirit or- orchestrates it. But the moment you came to Jesus, you stepped into a change process. And what this means is, as a follower of Jesus, you should be changing, supernaturally changing. Right? And so if you're not changing, something is wrong. Can I tell you something? I think this is one of the biggest downfalls of American Christianity, that we have so truncated the gospel of Jesus that we've missed this. That we have described the gospel of Jesus as you believe in Jesus, as Jesus in your heart, now you go to heaven. That's the gospel. That is not the gospel. That's a part of the gospel, but that is a small part of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is that the king has come back to establish his kingdom to reclaim all of creation and to restore us to who we were made to be. The way he did it was through his death. But the message is the reclamation of all things. And that starts with you. That's why later in 2 Corinthians, in this series, in chapter 5, Paul will say, if any person is in Christ, he is a new what? creation because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's about change. It's about transformation. It's about turning you into the person you were created to be, a person who catches, fulfills covenant, a person who loves God and loves people. And that only happens supernaturally by the work of the Spirit. But catch this, in order for the Spirit to transform us, we have to cooperate with Him. And this is what we'll be talking about next week. 
when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, he's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to convict you. Right? He's going to say, this needs to go. This needs to change. You need to take this step of obedience. You need to surrender this. And catch this, as we surrender, we experience the power of change, but not before. As we die to the old, we rise to the new. For every resurrection, there has to be a death. And so when Jesus calls us, the Holy Spirit comes, he will call us to new deaths that will lead to new resurrection. And so this is our birthright. So the question I have for you is, are you changing? See, are you more like Jesus today than you were a year ago? Do you love God more today than you did a year ago? Are you more passionate about Jesus and his kingdom and the things that truly matter in life than a year ago? Do you love people more than a year ago? Are you more patient? Are you more kind? Are you more compassionate? Are you more generous? Are you more courageous than you were a year ago? And if the answer is no, something is wrong. What it means is that we've entered into covenant, but we're not experiencing covenant. Something is blocking. And you know what usually is blocking? It's usually blocking is either we're we're not spending time to pursue or we're not spending time to obey. That's usually what's blocking. And so next week, we're going to talk about the power of transformation and how the new, uh, the Holy Spirit works in our life to transform us, to become like Christ, to carry out covenant in our life. And here's what we're going to do now, though. I've given you so much to think about today. It's been a pretty heady message. Given a lot to think about. But here's the thing. We're going to move into a time of communion now. And now, maybe for the first time in, in many of your lives, for the first time, you understand communion is a covenant ceremony. Are you with me? Like, don't check out right now. I know you think I'm done. <laughs> I know you. It's like, okay, that's good. That's always just, he's just introducing communion. No, no, no. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Remember what Jesus said the last night, the Passover. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood, right? Do it in remembrance. And so here's, when we take communion, what we are doing is we are pulling out the covenant and we are reminding ourselves of covenant reality. Every time we take communion, we are remembering that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have entered into covenant. We have forgiveness of sins total, that we are invited into a relationship that's deep and intentional, and that we have the power of the resurrection of Jesus to change us. Every time, every time we go to those tables, every time we celebrate communion, we are celebrating covenant reality. You see, and so today as we've talked about what covenant means, I want to give you a chance during communion to reflect on what it means to be people of the covenant. And I want you to ask yourself those questions. Are you living in the freedom? Are you pursuing the relationship? Are you, are you changing at the core? Is that happening? Is there something that needs to happen right here, right now as we go into this, this time of celebration with Jesus? Is there something that you, is there a conversation you need to have? Right? Is there a conversation you need to have about entering deeper into covenant reality uh, today? So would you stand with me? I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to move to the tables around the room for communion. Uh, here's what I'd say. If you're a follower of Jesus, this table is for you because you've entered into covenant. It's very appropriate for you to go celebrate covenant. Right? Here's what I'd say. Secondly, if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you want to be. And you say, I want to enter into covenant. I want the forgiveness. I want the new relationship. I want the power. And I want the Holy Spirit in my life. 
If that's you today, you want to enter into covenant, can I tell you something? There is no better way than to walk to that communion table and you take that juice and you take that bread and you ask Jesus into your life. There is no better way than to enter into covenant by that symbolic action of saying, I want to enter into covenant with you, Jesus, and inviting him in. And he will enter into covenant with you with that act. The the third thing I'd say then is if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're not ready to enter into covenant, then now you understand why why this ceremony is not for you. Because to go and take communion when you're not a follower of Jesus, it'd be like wearing a ring when you haven't gotten married. You see? You're proclaiming that you've entered into covenant when you haven't. And so you want to not do communion today because when you do make the decision to, to come follow Jesus, it's now going to take on new meaning. You see? Because now you're going to be able to celebrate that you've entered into covenant relationship. It's time to put on the ring and take communion. Does that make sense? Okay, let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, our Passover lamb. We come to you in the name of the one who is beaten for us. We come to you in the name of the king and the Messiah who initiated covenant. We, We come to the one who opened the door to this whole new era of the human race. We, we come in the name of the one that opened up and gave us the gifts of forgiveness, the gift of true relationship, the gift of power to change. We come in the name of the one who is rose, de- died and rose on our behalf that we might experience resurrection life. And so we come worshiping. We come with adoration. We come in repentance. We come asking forgiveness. We come receiving the gift of forgiveness. We come with a new commitment to pursue this knowledge of God. We come with a a prayer in our hearts, experience the power to change. God, we come with a prayer as a church that you would unleash your spirit in this church, that we would be a true covenant community, entered into covenant with the living God. There would be a light in the dark place, a light on a hill here at Rocky Peak that many would come and enter into covenant with us as a result of what you're doing in our life. And so we come and we receive now the gift of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And pray it would be truly transformative to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the death of Jesus changes everything. And I hope you're experiencing that change in in your life. And if not as much as you want, I hope you can join next week. Because we're going to be continuing this series and talk about the power of transformation. We're going to finish up chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul begins to talk about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. How the Old Covenant was truly amazing. I mean, God shows up with all this power at Mount Sinai. In fact, it was when Moses would appear before him, his face would come out like, like shining. It was so powerful. But Paul says, but there's nothing, the power of the old covenant is nothing compared to the power of the new because it was, old, it was so fading. Moses' face would fade. He'd, he'd put a shield over his face so people wouldn't see it was fading. But, but it would shield. he says that the power of the new covenant, it just gets brighter and brighter as we're transformed more and more to become like Jesus. And so next week, we're going to talk about this power of transformation and how God shapes and transforms us and how to step into that power in practical ways in our lives. And so I hope you can be here. I want to remind you also, if you're here today and you like prayer about something, that we always, after every service, have a ministry called the Prayer Corner back at the very uh, corner of the room to my left back there. There's some people back there who'd love to pray with you about whatever there is And until we meet again next week, may may the power of the resurrection be the power that fills your life. 
May, may the love of God be overabounding in your life. May you know this love that loves you apart from your performance. It's just crazy about you. May you experience the freedom of forgiveness this week, and may you take time to pursue whatever it is that fuels your relationship. Pursue this God who has so pursued you, and the end result, may you be living the life of the covenant, which is the life of the Spirit. I'll see you next weekend. Have a tremendous week, and I'll see you then. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>